Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Being at the pro club, and I, I'm playing against Nate McMillan, and I'm playing against Sean Kemp, and I'm Det Left, and Jack Sigma, and, and all these guys. And they were very helpful to me, Dan. They, they, they told me things. They beat the hell out of me, you know? I mean, to yeah, be you frank guys with do you, that I, to I, me, too. Yeah, I, I mean, the first time I tried to dunk on Sean Kemp, I, I landed on my back, man. He put me on my back. That's today's guest, Seattle basketball legend Doug Christie. Welcome to Dan Dickow's Quarantine Series on the Scorebook Live Today podcast. As the world, particularly the world of sports, is shut down due to the coronavirus, we're ramping things up a notch here at Scorebook Live. Every weekday, Dan interviews an expert in the world of sports, from star hoopers and coaches like Steve Kerr, Jamal Crawford, and Doug Christie, to seven-time Mr. Olympia bodybuilder Phil Heath. We hope you're entertained and maybe learn a thing or two as we navigate these uncertain times. The easiest way to tune in is by subscribing. In addition to our weekly Washington High School Sports News and Conversation podcast released Thursdays, hosted by myself, Andy Bueller, fellow reporter Todd Millis, Dan is bringing you interviews just like this one delivered five days a week. Head to wherever you get your podcast, subscribe for free, and while you're there, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. Before we get to Dan's interview today, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Washington Federal. Washington Federal is a local bank and portfolio lender with more than 200 branches across eight states, more than 32,000 fee-free ATMs, 24-7 online and mobile banking with drive-up ATMs. Washington Federal is a proud sponsor of Scorebook Live. They care deeply about high school sports and the communities that support them across the entire state of Washington. Head to WFDBank.com to learn how they can help you meet your financial goals. That's WAFDBank.com. Washington Federal, a neighbor you can count on. We hope everybody's staying safe and healthy. We're just as excited for high school sports to return as you are. Now, Dan Dickow. Dan Dickow, Scorebook Live, Washington. Today, our podcast during the quarantine series in these uncertain times in the world and in the nation. Uh, have a great guest who has a ton of Washington ties. Started his high school career, Mark Morris in Longview, which not a lot of people probably know. They probably recognize him and remember him for his time with the Beach Boys, Rainier Beach in 1988 state title. None other than... Doug Christie. Doug, how is life <laughs> in California? All is well, my friend. All is well. Yeah, man. You, you bring back some memories just spitting those uh, those names and facts out. That's for sure, man. But all is well. How, how about yourself? You good? Yeah, we, uh, my family and I, we live in Spokane now. Uh, things are very, very good for us personally. I'm sure you're probably a similar train of thought. The grind of being a businessman with broadcasting or whatever responsibilities um, sometimes gets you going 100 miles per hour. And so this has been kind of a blessing in disguise to, to really kind of sit back, work from home, hang out with the kids, and watch the last dance. I know we're going to release this probably in a week or so, but it came out last night. It was unbelievable. I, two hours, I don't think I moved off my couch. So hopefully the same was for you. 
Yeah, man, it was, um, you know, having having played against, you know, I actually, my, my guy on the radio, because I do a radio show daily too, uh, Grant was saying, you know, you're probably one of the only guys that played against uh, LeBron, Kobe, and uh, Michael Jordan, and Magic Johnson. So playing uh, against Mike and then watching that, Oh, man, it's next level, man. I, you know, people, you could have all these arguments. People don't really realize. I, they just don't who he was and really, dude was on another planet, man. Forget level. He was on another planet, I'm telling you. <laughs> man, I, uh, you know, I, I put some things on social media, Twitter and Instagram. Just my rookie year was Mike's last year with the Wizards. So okay, even at that point, he was unbelievable. But I remember as a kid growing up watching him, you were guarding him at his peak. Please share with our listeners just how good he was. You know, so the the year that they won 72 games, uh, I was playing with the Raptors. That was the the Raptors' inaugural season. And the lowly Raptors are one of those 10 wins. And guarding Mike was – it was incredible, man, because a a lot of – you know. So first of all, he played both ends of the floor and he tried to dominate you on the defensive end just as much as he dominated you on the offensive end. But at the same time, Dan, we, we were battling and never against a, a, a superstar had I not heard them complain to the referees. He never said one word. And I mean, we're, we're beating the hell out of each other. But his mentality was, I'll handle it on my own. I got this. And I had so much respect for Mike. So I'm guarding him all game. I'm having, you know, I, I held him to one of his lowest scoring totals, uh, I believe, ever. And d- during the game, Alan Robertson, who's his real, real good buddy, is on the team. So it comes down to the last play of the game, and we call a timeout. And Coach Daryl Walker says, hey, uh, okay, Alvin, you're going to guard uh, Mike on this play, blah, blah, blah. And the huddle kind of goes quiet. and Alvin kind of looks around and he goes, yo, man, he said, Doug's been doing a good job. Let the young fella, let him, let him finish it off. And we ended up, we ended up winning the game. So afterwards, my daughter, she was probably, that was like 96, 97. So she was like three or four years old. She's like, dad, dad, can you go get an autograph? And I'm thinking, we just, I'm sure he's pissed right now. <laughs> you know, like we, we were beating the hell out of each other. They lost. But, you know, for your kids, you do anything. So I walked over, walked in the locker room. There's a, probably a scrum, Dan, I kid you not, of 60, 70 people around him. And I kind of stand to the side. He catches a glimpse. And he's like, you guys move out of the way. He moves them all out of the way. Come in, talk to him, signs my daughter's thing. He was he was the absolute best. And, you know, growing up, I just – I have reverence for Mike like I have reverence for no other man. He, he's, the, he's the real freaking deal. That that's an awesome story, and uh, I can't wait to watch uh, the rest of the releases. Now you mentioned he was the real deal, just overall world of basketball. When I interview a lot of people now for Scoreboard Live Washington and the things that we're doing to give high school coverage uh, to players, um, with this quarantine series, I've interviewed guys from you know Jamal Crawford to guys who are coaching in the NBA now to Mark Pope. Um, yeah your name always comes up and it comes with a lot of reverence in that you were one of the guys that really got the Metro league back started uh, as being a league of prominence in in the state of Washington and in the Seattle area. 
when you look back at your high school years and that 88 state title, what do you remember the most? Wow. First of all, it's an honor and I'm always humbled when I, when I hear Jamal and Mark and all those guys speak, because before me, there were, you know, there were a lot, I wasn't the best player in my neighborhood for a long while. And back then it was a different type of game. You had to go to the neighborhood and try to rep out. And if you could, then great. If not, and that's, kind of when I went to Mark Morris and we can get into that but I, I got fundamentals and put it all together um, but when I think about that I think about two year or one year prior we lost the lakeside in district and my best buddy Tyrone Pollard was laying on the front page of the Seattle Times and the PI and he's laying on the floor and he got called for a foul that wasn't a foul and we, we came back um, that year and then our coach Mill Williams got released from his job like the day that the, everything was supposed to start and they brought in this coach from Chief Self and I'm like no guys we're not playing for no for no guy who just came from Self it ain't happening so we all walked out of the gym Francis Williams gets the job and you know it was it was up and down and we had uh, battled with Chief Self and uh, what I remember is that game was I believe the second game of the of the tournament in the first game of the tournament we set a I can't remember the name of the team but we set a record for points at that time we just throttled them Chief Self comes and we outscored them by four points in the first quarter and then the game was tied the rest of the game and out of all of them that's kind of the one that I remember the most and it was just one of those unbelievable experiences man to, to win the first state title we talked about it as players we wanted to do something like that but before that the side of Rainier Beach High School's gym was blank and then all of a sudden it said double-A boys state championship, boom. And then from there, Jamal and Nate and all those guys come, all the track accolades and all the different stuff. That was that was just a, it was a, a fantastic and marvelous season that was kind of lightning in a bottle in a lot of ways. It's definitely one of the schools that not only in the Northwest, but even across the country is known for, for great athletes, great basketball programs. And, and you were a big part of that. The first time you and I met was I was a high school kid. I would drive up from from Vancouver, Washington, Prairie High School to go work out at the <laughs> club in, in, uh -huh. in Redmond. And yep. what I remembered was a chance for me as a young guy to go against current college and pro guys, test myself, learn, hear from guys like you. I remember mm -hmm. you being very you know, supportive. Obviously, you were on the next level, but you were very willing of your time, of your knowledge to share it with me. And you fast forward a few more years, you're running the Seattle Pro-Am. Where did that kind of give back mentality come from? You know, there, there were so many different people that helped me along my journey, you know, um, from, you know, we, I never played AAU basketball. And then uh, my, my assistant coach, Glenn Smith, we call him Petey, he took us to AAU basketball, but we didn't, you know, we're inner city kids, so we didn't have enough money. So my mom got a hot dog stand outside her store. We have people that came and helped. We sold hot dogs. That's how we got to, that's how we got to go to Jonesboro, Arkansas for, you know, and, and put me in, in everyone in a different realm. It was, it was always help someone driving us to game, someone, someone doing things. Well, fast forward to the time where I, I get to end up going out and being at the 
pro club and I, I'm playing against Nate McMillan. I'm playing against Sean Kemp and I'm Detlef and Jack Sigma and, and all these guys. And they were very helpful to me, Dan. They, they, they told me things. They beat the hell out of me. You know, I mean, to yeah, be frank you guys with do you, that I, to I, me too. I, yeah. I, I mean, the first time I tried to dunk on Sean Kemp, I, I landed on my back, man. He put me on my back and Sean was a freak of nature because we were in the same grade class but he had been playing with men so for me I wanted some place to play I, I, I grew up playing at South Shore Rainier Beach uh, Othello Park um, you know um, South Shore did I say South Shore South Shore and when when I was doing that it was it was a place to play but you had to earn your stripes at these places well all of a sudden fast forward and now I'm, I'm becoming a college player and I'm becoming a pro and I, I wanted some place to play. So my agent at the time, J.R. Harris, talked about, you know, hey, D, there used to be a pro-am here, and there's no pro-am anymore. We should we should hook this up. So we sat down. I said, how much would it cost? I funded everything. We had a draft. We got some different people involved. We got us a gym up at um, Seattle U, and the turnout was spectacular man people were coming in that's that's when I first met Jamal that's actually he must have been like 13 or 14 years old and uh, my agent said hey there's this young kid he wants to play uh but you know he's young can he play and I said they were just about to start scrimmaging and I said hey hold up hold up throw him in there let me see and as soon as he dribbled I was like oh yeah yeah he'll be fine <laughs> don't worry about it <laughs> So it was um, it was a love for for the game of basketball. It was a love for my city. It was a love and appreciation for the guys who came before me, like Chris Fogerson and, and Xavier uh, Sarden and Herm Randall and the players that that were way better than me that you never heard of, but they didn't make it for whatever various reasons that our neighborhood kind of sucks a lot of us in. That's so unbelievable. You say literally you watched Jamal dribble up and down the court one time and you knew he had it. Now, yeah. when you look back at it, when did you know that you might have a chance to make it to the NBA? You know, that's, that's an interesting question because there's, it's, a, it's a very specific time, Dan. So um, my, my junior year – we're, I'm at Rainier Beach, and we're practicing, and we're practicing like crap, man. And uh, Mel Williams is the coach, so he blows the whistle. And back then, they didn't talk the way they talk now. So he calls us in, and he's using all these superlatives and things that I won't say right here. But he says, he says, everybody sit down. So we all sit down, and he goes, you guys are playing like blah, blah, blah. You think that you, you're good, but you guys aren't good. You're not playing as a team. You're playing as a whole bunch of individuals. And he's going on and on and on. And he said, and, and you think you're going to make it to the NBA? You think you're going to make it to the NBA? There's probably only one person in here that can make it to the NBA. And the gym goes quiet, Dan. Like, because we're thinking, first of all, we're some neighborhood kids. We're like, who the hell is he about to say? And he, and he said my name. And it was, um, it was the first time that anyone had spoke truth to my dream like that. You know, I had always thought that. I had always wanted that. But I had never heard anybody who was in, quote unquote, power. And Mel was the first guy that, that when that happened, there was no looking back from there. Yeah, that's awesome. It, it shows you the power that a coach can have with their words yeah. 
you know, either negatively or in the case for you there, positively um, to really kind of feed into a dream and fertilize it and help it kind of come to fruition. That, that is awesome. That's amazing. I want to go back to something we touched on really at the start of our conversation. You played against Magic, Michael, Kobe, LeBron. Yeah. My personal opinion, Michael stands as, as the best ever. I think mm-hmm. Kobe and LeBron are a are second. You can debate how close it is. doesn't matter. No one is ever going to surpass Michael. What right. made those <coughs> guys so good that you played against? Um, it was a dedication to their craft and a sacrifice. And when I say sacrifice, if you hear uh, Ahmad Rashad, for instance, one of uh, Washington, Mount Tahoma High School's uh, very own, um, talk about Mike, and he's really good friends with him, he would say in the finals, and this is the finals of the NBA, Dan, during the finals, they would stay up till 2, 3, 4 in the morning, smoking cigars, talking about every play of the game. He said, but Michael would be in the gym at 6. Didn't matter. So he was willing to sacrifice of himself that if I'm going to hang out, I'm still going to do what I need to do. Uh, Laser focus, attention to detail. Kobe sacrificed his whole childhood. And those are the things that it takes to, to put yourself, not even, it doesn't guarantee you, but it's the only chance that you might have. Um, You sacrifice your friends, you sacrifice your family, you sacrifice your time, you sacrifice your, your, a lot of yourself because through injuries, through a lot of different things, you're not going to live the normal life that people quote unquote, whatever that means, whatever they live. Um, And when I watch Mike now, and and I give you a Kobe example, and I I said this on air after he passed, um, when we competed, we never spoke. We never really talked because we were mortal enemies. I mean, we, really did. I didn't we didn't care for each other and that's good because that's how it should be um, but afterwards I kept studying the game of basketball as I trained and I developed this mind body basketball that's my mantra and there's three pieces to that mind body and basketball a lot of players Dan as you know will have one some will have two but when you have all three of them it puts you in a different different stratosphere and those players that I just named they all have all three of them and with Kobe as I hear him talk about the game it blew my mind because what I learned after I stopped playing I hear him talk about it in the way that he talks about it is the way that I talk about basketball well why that's so weird is that's how he was digesting me when he was when I was in front of him which is mind-blowing because I wasn't digesting the game like that and now I understand how he could take advantage of an angle or take advantage of certain aspects because I was good, but I didn't take it to that next level. And they were willing, all those players that you mentioned, they're willing to look under every single rock and turn over every one. Uh, when someone slides a paper across the table at you that says, this is what greatness costs, they signed it. A lot of people won't. They'll say they want it, but they won't sign the paper. That's that, I love that sliding of the paper analogy. That that is so true in any industry, business, athletic endeavor. You, I look at your early two thousand Kings teams as some of the best 
in recent memory not to win an NBA championship. I'm sure John Stockton, who I will talk to about his late 90s runs against Jordan. Oh, yeah. Um, what was it about those early 2000 Kings teams that were so special? You know, we were we were so far ahead of the curve. Um, you know, when when Golden State won their first title, that was my very first year of doing radio. So that that would that would tell you how long I've been doing the Kings, whatever that year was. And the very first game of the year that season, I happened to be in Sacramento for the first game because they wanted me there, and um, I got to talk to Steve Kerr. And I said, "Hey, Steve, you're taking over from Mark Jackson. How? What are you guys going to do that's different than what Mark did?" And he said, "To be honest with you." He said, we're going to take a lot of what you guys did. We're going to put Bogut at the high post. We're going to pass and cut and move, and we're going to play the game. And so you're right. We don't get credit because we didn't win a championship. But when you talk about five people, six, seven, eight, however many played, and normally it was eight or nine guys that played, Everybody could do everything, meaning everyone could dribble, shoot, pivot, pass, screen. They understood the the game of basketball. Um, and there was a selflessness about our team that you just didn't see. I played on a few different teams and never had I – that's what I call basketball nirvana. For me, it was the greatest – Thing that I had ever experienced on a basketball court. It was the the willingness to pass, to cut, to move defensively, uh, with the exception of maybe myself and Bobby Jackson and Scott Pollard. We didn't have great individual defenders, but we communicated at such a high level that team team defensively, we were solid. So um, it, it was like um, it was like re- rehearsing a show for a play. And when we were in practice, I never really realized what we were doing, but we would run these drills and, uh, you know, corner sets and we would just, we'd be laughing and joking and coach allowed that because of the monotony, most likely that we would pass and cut and screen and pass and cut and screen and pass and cut and screen. So we had every single solution to the problem when it when it when it raised its head in the game so by the time we hit the court it was a performance man and it was it was uh, it was an honor to be a part of it and then when you add arco arena in there oh my god man that was next level stuff bro <laughs> i remember you know preparing for the nba draft watching you guys over and over again because mike bibby was somebody that i looked at as he had a similar skill package. Granted, he had a much better career than I had, but he could shoot it. He could pass it. He understood yeah. angles, yep. red screens. And so I watched you guys an amazing amount. Um, and so I completely agree with so many of those things that you say, right? Just coming together. Um, and I think you guys would have got more credit moving forward had you been able to go yeah. through. Last question I have before for you before I let you go, and I really appreciate your time. It's it's always important for for players as they transition out of playing to kind of figure out what they want to do next. Um, I always thought I was going to go coaching or broadcasting, and and I've, I've had the opportunity to kind of build into a broadcaster role at the college level. Was broadcasting mm-hmm. part of what you wanted to do when you got done playing, or how did you get into that? Yeah, no, no way, man. I mean, that was kind of the the other side, you know what I mean? Like, um, oddly enough, when I, I went to school at Pepperdine, I went for communications, but I went in and got behind the cameras and stuff. I didn't like it, so I didn't want to do that. Um, 
so I'm doing a camp. The Kings call me. I'm at home in Los Angeles, totally chilling, homeschooling my son. And they say, hey, we need you to do a camp. Actually, the Golden One Center is where we play now. And the company that they wanted to camp for was Golden One. They said, hey, come down, do a camp. I said, fine. So I took my son. We went up, did a three-hour camp for Golden One, worked great. Two of the people that were in charge were Alma Godinas and Darren Gross. They called me up to the office and they're like, hey, you know, come sit down. Let's talk for a little while. So we just start talking like you and I are about old time, King stuff, all this different stuff. So I leave. And when I get home, lo and behold, that was an interview. And they go, we would love you to do pre and post on the radio. And I said, okay, but I live in LA. They were like, don't worry, we'll send down some equipment. Someone will set it up at your house, blah, blah, blah. So we, at that time we were staying in a little condo. So they set it up in my son's closet. So I would watch, <laughs> I'd do my study and I'd watch the game, do the halftime hit, do the pregame hit, do the postgame hit. But I'd be sitting on a physio ball in my son's closet while I was doing it. Well, so you get around, uh, first of December and they call me and say, Hey, Bobby Jackson, who was doing pre and post at the time on television, he wants to, uh, you know, be with his family during that time. Do you mind coming up and doing the games? And, uh, I said to my wife, you, you want to go? So we took uh, our son, we went up and we spent Christmas up there. I did like five or six games. They absolutely loved it. That went to doing a three man booth with Grant. And to be honest, a, a lot of it, Dan was on the job training. I learned so much. Grant has been so gracious. Jerry Reynolds, who came before me, uh, they all helped me out. And it just kind of kept going. And even with this radio thing that I do, I do sports talk radio three to seven daily with Grant. And he has his own show. Now I'm on it. And they asked me three different times. And each time I said no, because I knew how much studying, even though I know the game, I know how much studying I do for basketball. It's a lot. And I know basketball, yeah, backwards and forwards. But to talk all sports, it engulfs your life, man. So I said no, but then finally I said, okay, let me let me give it a shot. And now I, I do it daily. We have a great time, and it's just been something that kind of evolved. But I take the same approach. You know, if you're an athlete, most times, or you have the athletic mentality, it's I'll overcome, I'll sacrifice, I'll do what I need to do. And that's kind of the same way that I approach this and just try to be the best that I can be, uh, humble enough to ask a lot of questions and continue to learn and try to find your, you know, I try to find my voice because it, when you start, you've got this thing in your mind, but it's not that. And you figure that out as you kind of go along. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things where... <laughs> As a athlete, you evolve. As a coach, if that's the path you take, you kind of evolve yeah. philosophies. And it's been the same way for me as a broadcaster, and it sounds like it was the same for you. And I don't think the average person understands how much reading <laughs> occurs oh my God. for a game or asking people, uh, hey, can I get five minutes on a quick phone call for a little bit of information or sending text message? Just to have that one nugget. You might not use it that game, but you have it in your back pocket. So if something comes up, you can say, I talked to so-and-so. I love that. Yeah, it's a, it's a must, man. I mean, uh, it's kind of like filming. If you've ever done television, you'll film for five hours for 30 seconds of television. I mean, you, you, you might need it. You might not need it. But you do not want to be out there and don't have it. That's for damn sure. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Well, Doug, I, I absolutely appreciate the time. It, it's been a long time since we've uh, connected, whether it was at the pro club or on the NBA court. Uh, I do see your tweets. Uh, you've had some good ones since the quarantine. Uh, and I look forward to following some more Kings action next year so that I can continue to learn as a broadcaster. But thank you for joining our Scorebook Live today podcast. You, you got it, D, until I get, get back up there into the uh, to the doghouse. Do they call it the kennel now? What do they call it up there now? It, it's the kennel. So, you know what, maybe maybe next year when Pepperdine is at Gonzaga, you yeah. and, uh, <laughs> we, we can have a little side bet for dinner or something. You never know. Hey, well, it, it's not the way that it used to be. If it was the way it used to be, I'd bet you. Now, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Coach Romar is doing a great job. Unfortunately, yes, he is. Though, Coach Few is kind of taking it to the next level, but Lorenzo's doing an amazing job. Yes, he is, man. So, I, yeah, that, that would be cool, man. I haven't been up there to see the new uh, gymnasium. Well-deserved, and uh, kudos to uh, Coach Few and all you dog pound faithful, man. Oh, my boy. <laughs> awesome. Again, appreciate your time, and uh, Doug, stay safe with the family and, uh, and enjoy these times. You got it, man. Be well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.